Not yet? Not yet. Am I on now? Perfect. It is good to be back at MacArthur Park and good to be back in San Antonio. Believe it or not, as hard as Cody might make us work, I actually missed it this year. So I hope all of you had a good year. I had a great year up at Oklahoma Christian. It was a busy year. Got more involved, rushed a club, started preaching a lot more often, and in what little spare time I had, I took up the sport of golf. You can either be happy for me or sad for me, depending on what you know about golf. Let me tell you, golf is addicting. I was hooked pretty fast. I think in the two weeks I had off between the time that I got out of school and the time I left home to come here, I played five or six rounds of golf. Didn't get very many good scores, really didn't get a good score at all, but I had fun. And that's the point of golf, right? You go out and you have a good time. I'm going to play tomorrow if it doesn't rain like it has been all weekend. Uh, one thing that my golf game needs work with is putting. And those of you that play golf, you might be able to relate to that. Putting is very underrated because anybody who plays golf, especially us big, strong, macho guys, we want to go out, we want to drive the ball a long way, hit the long ball, but we forget that putting is one of the most important aspects of the game because if you don't putt well, you're not going to have a good score. So with that in mind, knowing how important putting is, what if I go out for my round tomorrow and I go inside, I pay for my round, and I go out and I meet the guys I'm playing with and I say, you know what, guys, I've thought about it, and I've decided that we don't need to putt today. Let's go out, let's drive, let's hit the ball in the fairway, let's get it all the way onto the green, but once we have it on the green, let's pick it up and go on to the next hole. Do you think they would like that idea? Depending on how bad these guys are at putting, maybe they like that idea at first, but nobody is going to take that idea seriously. Because no matter how much I like putting, and no matter how bad I am at putting, it's going to be a part of the game of golf no matter what. And I understand that, and I accept that. And I think we would all agree that there's things in life that we realize cannot be changed, and we realize that these are not under our power to change, and we accept that, and we're okay with that. It's a part of life. But if we can accept the fact that we can't change something as simple and as meaningless as the game of golf, why can we not accept the fact that we cannot change the gospel? And maybe some of you are sitting out there and you're thinking, well, I've never tried to change the gospel. Let me tell you what I'm talking about, though. I think that far too often we'll be reading the gospel and we'll come across something that Jesus says that we either don't like or that doesn't make sense to us, and we'll start to come up with excuses as to why that doesn't apply to us. We'll say, well, Jesus only meant that for people back then. What he said there, that's meant for first century Christians, but that's not something that was meant for me. Jesus isn't talking to me here. Or we'll say, you know, he was only saying that for dramatic effect. Yeah, he tells us to take up our cross, to deny ourselves, and to follow him, but he's only saying that to be dramatic. That's only to add effect. We love the ideas that are beneficial to us, like love and forgiveness and salvation, as long as they don't change anything about the way that we want to live our lives. We'll say, yeah, forgiveness, being forgiven of my sins, that sounds awesome. But I don't know about this whole loving my enemies thing. I mean, that's too radical. That's too crazy. After all, what will my friends think? How will they look at me differently when I start doing that? 
or we'll say, yeah, I love the idea of eternal life. I love the idea of going to heaven and living forever. But I don't know about selling my possessions and giving money to the poor while I'm on earth. I like the things that I have. And I need the money that I have to buy more things that I want. And when we begin to think like this, it's as if we don't love God, but we love the things that God wants to give us. We don't come to church because we want to get to know God better. We come to church because we want God to give us our stuff. And this is a serious problem. If this is a problem for any of us, we need to address this right away. Because this is not the life that we're called to as Christians, and this is not the goal of the gospel. Turn over to John chapter 6. I think you'll see this problem illustrated pretty well in this story. And as you're turning over there, let me set up the story for you. So Jesus has just fed 5,000 people with nothing but a young boy's lunch. He feeds this whole crowd of people that he's been preaching to with nothing but five loaves of bread and two fish. And immediately these people eat and they're filled and they're amazed and impressed with this guy Jesus. And they want to ask him for more things, but before they can do that, Jesus escapes. He gets away and he goes off to sit by a mountainside all night praying to God. He does this the entire night, and then in the morning, he gets up and he goes back to cross the lake and meet up with his disciples again. And once he gets there, he's reunited with his apostles, and then shortly after, this group of people that he had fed arrives, and they meet him there as well. Because although they had eaten the night before and they had gotten full, just like any of us would, they got hungry again. So they go, and they're trying to find Jesus so they can see what they're having for breakfast. Let's see what happens whenever they get there. Verse 25. At this point, some of the people of Jerusalem begin to ask, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? I'm sorry, I'm in chapter 7. Just making sure y'all are paying attention. Okay, let's go to chapter 6 now. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you were looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one who he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? So Jesus knows what these people are thinking and why they had been looking for him. And I imagine that he's a little confused by it. Jesus can tell that these people don't understand the message behind the meal. He knows that all these people are thinking about is bread, and fish, while he has something else that he's brought to the table. He has something better to offer. But all these people can think about is what their next meal is. They're concerned with things that are temporary, things that are satisfying to the flesh, while what Jesus wants to give them is something spiritual, something eternal, and something that is by far more fulfilling. He has things like bread, the bread of life, and water, but it's living water. And he's trying to offer that to the people, but they don't understand this yet. So Jesus begins to teach them about these spiritual things. He's talking about this bread of life 
and he's talking about what they need to do to live this new way of life. And right away, these people are thinking about these things, and they're processing what it is that Jesus is saying, and they even start to ask questions. But as you can tell, they're asking all of the wrong questions. Jesus wants them to love, but instead of saying, what can we do, they ask the question, what must we do, coming from a sense of obligation. Then Jesus tells them to have faith. But their first question after he says this is, can you give us a sign? Can you prove to us that it's really you? They don't understand yet that you don't have to see to believe. Faith is something that you have regardless of what it is that you can see. To be fair, though, this is the kind of life that they're used to. This goes right along with the Mosaic Law that we read in books like Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. In your spare time this week, go back and look through some of those books, and you'll realize just how much of Judaism and the Jewish lifestyle was based around rules and signs. They had all of these rules, and God was constantly giving them signs so that they could believe that he, in fact, was God. So Jesus gives them what it is that they're asking for knowing full well that's what they expect. Also knowing full well that they don't understand why he has come yet. Jesus did not come to be a part of this old way, but instead he came to improve on that old way of life and establish a new way, a way that is better by far. And you can see in these next 25 verses of John chapter 6 that that is what he is talking about. It's this better way of life. It's this new way that these people aren't familiar with. And the people get what they ask for because they get this teaching, they're learning about what they must do, and yet they also get the sign that they want. After all, remember, these people had just been fed with five loaves of bread and two fish. 5,000 people. Not only that, but they had 12 basketfuls of leftovers after this meal. If you don't believe after seeing a sign like that, there's nothing Jesus could do to make you believe. You've got more than you need already. So they're hearing what Jesus is saying, and they're getting what they asked for, but at the same time, they don't like what it is that Jesus is saying. You can even see that in John chapter 6, verse 60, which we read earlier, that says, On hearing this, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Literally, in the Greek, that says, This is a hard word. Who can hear it? They don't like what Jesus is telling them that they must do. And we could go through those 25 verses and we could look at what exactly it is that Jesus is asking them to do. But to sum it all up in one sentence, Jesus is asking them to change. And as people, we don't like change. I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with a TV show called Duck Dynasty. If you've never seen this TV show before, I'd encourage you to go home, watch an episode or two. There's a great message behind it. All of the characters are Christian. And if nothing else, you'll get a good laugh or two out of it. I can guarantee you that. But anyways, there's this character on Duck Dynasty named Phil. Phil's an older guy. He's in his 60s. He's got long white hair and a long white beard. And he's a very simple, down-to-earth guy. He is also a perfect example of somebody who doesn't like change. There's an episode where Phil goes off and he's going to go hunting with some of his family and some of his friends. And while he's gone, his wife, Miss Kay, decides that she's going to have a garage sale. She decides they have too much junk in the house 
So she's going to get rid of some of this stuff they have laying around. So first she goes out into the garage, and she starts to get some of Phil's old things out of the garage that he doesn't use anymore, and she takes them out into the yard to be a part of this garage sale. Next, she goes into Phil's closet and gets some of the things that either Phil doesn't wear anymore or doesn't use anymore out of the closet, and she puts them out in the yard to be a part of the garage sale as well. And I'm sure all of you guys here can see where Miss Kay went wrong, because no matter how women don't understand this, those things in the closet and in the garage, no matter how much we use them, are sacred. And they always will be. But she does this, and to make things even worse, she goes into the living room, and she gets Phil's favorite chair, which I should probably tell you is 30 to 40 years old at this point, and she takes that out into the yard to be a part of the garage sale. If there's anything more sacred than those things in the closet and in the garage, it's your easy chair in the living room. Am I right, guys? So she gets all of these things, and she has this garage sale, and as you can imagine, whenever Phil gets home, he's not happy that most of his stuff is gone. He was still attached to these old things and to this old way of life that he had grown accustomed to. There's even another episode where Phil and Miss Kay go out, and they're shopping for a new house. Another thing you should know about Phil is that he's very rich from this company, Duck Commander, that he started. And throughout his entire life, he's had money coming in from these goods, these duck calls that his company is selling, and he's been saving all of that money up. And throughout this entire time, he's lived in the same two-bedroom, simple house out in the woods in Louisiana. But he's got all this money saved up, and he can afford a much nicer house. So one day, Miss Kay and Phil go out, and they're looking at these new houses. They have a realtor that's showing them around. And all, although all of these houses are beautiful and they're elegant houses, Phil finds something wrong with every single one of them. He doesn't want to change. He doesn't want to move away from that old life that he has grown to love. And a lot of us can identify with Phil because as human beings, we do not like change. Change is not something that sounds appealing to many of us. Change is new. Change is uncomfortable. Change is oftentimes unwanted. And in our story in John chapter 6, this is what the disciples of Jesus are confronted with. They have to decide whether they want to change or whether they want to leave. And Jesus knows this. Jesus can hear what they're saying. Jesus knows what's in their minds and in their heart. And I want you to notice what he does. Jesus doesn't say, well, guys, I'm sorry. I didn't know that y'all wouldn't like this plan and these ideas that I had. Why don't we sit down together, let's keep the good ideas, but let's throw out some of these bad ideas that y'all didn't like, and let's come up with a plan that's comfortable for all of us. Let's come up with something that we can all agree on. You'll notice that's not what he does. Let's pick up in verse 61. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. Jesus comes out and he says, this is who I am, this is what I have to offer you, this is what I'm asking you to do, and now the ball is in your court. You can take it or you can leave it. 
If you don't like what I'm asking you to do, if you don't want to change, if you don't want to do these things that I'm requiring you to do, then I'm sorry. But maybe this isn't the kind of life that was meant for you. We can't change the game. We can't throw out putting. Putting is a part of the game. And in the same way, we cannot change the gospel. We don't get to make our own rules. And look at what these people do when they realize that they, in fact, do have to change. There has to be some kind of decision made at this point. Verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So now I want you to notice what Jesus doesn't do. Jesus doesn't chase after them. Jesus doesn't tell them they're making a terrible mistake, even though they obviously are. Jesus doesn't tell them that now he'll change things around and beg them to come back because he knows now that they're serious about leaving. But Jesus lets them go. He lets them walk away. And that's hard for some of us to take in because we picture Jesus as being somebody who is loving and accepting and someone who does not want anybody to perish. After all, isn't that what 1 Timothy 2.4 says? For God desires that no man perish, but that all men come to be saved. What's going on here? How does this make sense? Turn over one page in your Bible. Let's go to John chapter 8. And we know this story. We know the story of the adulterous woman and the Pharisees that bring her to Jesus. And we know that as they're bringing her, they tell Jesus about these things that this woman has been accused of doing. Adultery. Cheating on her husband. And they remind Jesus that according to Jewish custom and their religious law, this woman had to be stoned. This woman had to die. And Jesus knows this. It's true. Jewish law and Jewish custom require that this woman be taken out in front of the entire community and be stoned by all of the people. But now in front of these same people and these Pharisees and this woman, look at how Jesus reacts to this situation. Let's start up in verse 7. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stepped down and wrote on the ground. And now we'll pick up in the PowerPoint. At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So often our society confuses being accepting with being tolerant. Of course Jesus is loving. Of course Jesus is accepting. Of course Jesus wants every person who has ever lived both now and back in the past and in the future to come to know him and to be saved, but Jesus will not tolerate sin. Jesus will not tolerate someone who is unwilling to change. Jesus will love us and accept us and forgive all of the messed up sin and the junk that we have in our life, but when we come to Jesus, he demands action. 
He demands repentance. He demands a change. He demands that we leave our life of sin behind and follow him. When we read the gospel, something has to click in our heads that makes us realize we've got to leave all of this junk behind. We can't hang on to this mess and follow Jesus. The gospel requires us to change. That is the only appropriate reaction to the reading of this book. So often we read it and we think that it's the good news, and we even call it the good news because it reminds us that we're forgiven of our sins, but we forget that the forgiveness of our sins demands action. There's two kinds of reactions that you can have when you read the gospel. You can either accept it openly or you can reject it. There's no in-between. There's no best of both worlds. The gospel demands some kind of change. It has to make, you have to make some kind of decision whenever you read this book. And we see that these people before in the story aren't willing to do that. But that's what's on us now. We have to make that decision of whether we want to change or not. We need to prepare ourselves to be changed by this gospel. Let's pick back up in the story now. Verse 67. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. That is a perfect example of somebody whose life was changed by the gospel. These guys had left everything. They left their families. They left their homes. They left their jobs. They left their career dreams. They left their possessions. They left everything behind to follow Jesus with everything they had. They weren't playing to be gospel changers. Instead, they were gospel changed. Nothing was too sacred or too important to them to leave behind when following Jesus was an option. They gave up everything to do that. And now the question we have to ask ourselves is can we do the same thing? Can we allow ourselves to be changed by this book? I'm sure a lot of you, well, I'm sure all of you actually, know about some of the events that took place this last week up in Moore, Oklahoma. And that hits really close to home to me, both literally and figuratively. Moore's about 30 minutes away from my hometown, Edmond. And for that reason, I haven't watched much of the news this week because it's hard for me to see the things that are happening so close to my home, all of the devastation and all of the terrible things that have gone on there this week. But I have been keeping up with a lot of the news on Twitter. And I saw a tweet Tuesday morning about the storm that I can't forget about. It's actually stuck in my head pretty well this week. Apparently there was a 72-year-old man whose, whose house was in the path of the storm. And when the storm hit, took away his house, took away his possessions, took away everything that this man owned. He was left with nothing but his life. And on the day of the tornado, there was a reporter, and she was talking to this man about the storm and about the things that it had taken away from him. And she wanted to know how he felt about losing everything. And this man said, well, everything I had before belonged to God. So if he wants to take it away, then that's fine. That is the kind of change that I'm talking about here. 
Not somebody who says, yeah, I'll follow Jesus as long as I don't have to change too much about what I want or about the way that I want to live my life. But a mindset that is willing to leave everything behind and call it a loss for the sake of gaining Jesus Christ and forgiveness and salvation and love and all of those good things that Jesus has to offer that are okay for us to want, but that only work if we're chasing after him to get them. This is the kind of life that we're called to, not trying to change the gospel, but to be somebody who is changed by the gospel. Can we, can we identify with this man at all? Are you willing to follow Jesus no matter what it costs you? Are you willing to allow yourself to be changed by the gospel no matter how much that might hurt? Remember, we talked about change before. Change is new, change is uncomfortable, change is oftentimes unwanted. But I would say that if you're not challenged by reading the gospel, if some of the things that Jesus says doesn't make you uncomfortable, you're probably reading it wrong. You might want to go back and read some of these things again. And that's the challenge that I'll leave you with for this week. Go read these things that Jesus says in the gospel and begin to ask the question, how can I be changed? by what Jesus is saying to me here. What difference does this make for me? Maybe you've already begun to think about that. Maybe you're like Janae and you've decided that the gospel is calling you to give your life to Christ and be baptized. Maybe that's what the gospel has put on your heart tonight. And if so, that is awesome. I'm so thrilled for you. And I would love to see you come down and we would love to assist you with that. Maybe you have taken that first step and been baptized, but you realize afterwards or sometime between now and tonight that you weren't willing to change. There were still things in your life that you were holding on to for yourself, but now you're ready to give those things up. You're ready to allow yourself to be changed by the gospel and by Jesus. We would love to see you do that as well. One thing that you need to know, and I say this as I offer the invitation, This is one of the best things about the gospel and about Christianity as a whole. And it is relevant to all of us here tonight. We were not meant to do any of this alone. That is why God sent his Holy Spirit to set up the church and to give us each other. That is why we're all here tonight. We would love to see you come down and be baptized, or we'd love to pray for you. Whatever it is that you need from this church tonight, we'd love to see you come forward as we stand and sing now.